0: I'm Pastor Mark, and um, it's a blessing to be here today. I, uh, I, it's kind of interesting. Uh, it's been a very tumultuous couple of weeks, and uh, we've had a, a lot of heavy stuff happen in our society with you know mass shootings and and bombings and and uh, even. Uh, just uh, in our church, you know, as you notice coming in there was you know uh, a mount e three, you know uh, with the plumbing bursting and we have the the children here and uh, so I had an opportunity Eric gave me the opportunity to uh, ask me to preach uh, several weeks ago and just talking about Christ being mocked, uh, just going to the cross and and on the cross and it's been just uh, uh, really a tumultuous time and I, I, got, I got to tell you that, and maybe you're this way too, I've, I've had just a real heaviness uh, about uh, just the state of, of what's happening in our society that um, kids um, are killing kids that 20-something-year-old felt that he needed to do bombings in, in Austin. And as a professor at FSU, I've just been able to connect with a lot of 20-somethings and just, uh, I can just tell you that, that they're really torn up inside. And it was interesting, I've been just wrestling with the Holy Spirit, and I don't do this very often, but basically uh, Friday when I heard about the plumbing and how the kids were going to be in here and everything. I, I, I felt like God was going to call me to do something else, and I kind of worked on it and got it together. But last night I couldn't sleep, and I finally got out of, I got out of bed just a little bit after 4 a.m. this morning, and just opened up my heart and just said, Holy Spirit, what are you asking of me today? And after, through some prayer and being led to some certain scripture and, and things like that, uh, I feel that, that God has called me to speak some uncomfortable truths today. And you'll be able to sit and decide if this is Mark or if this is the Holy Spirit, and I'll trust that you can discern uh, the difference, but I, I felt compelled to do that, but also knowing that the children uh, were going to be in here. There's going to be a part of this message that I'm actually not going to give today. I'm going to allude to some things, but after this gathering, uh, the staff is actually going to film it and we're going to allow adults to to uh, view it on their own. So when we get to that part, I'll just tell you that this is, this is um, going to be taken at, at the video part. You know, it's kind of Actually, also interesting. I don't know if you know this, but this is the anniversary of our church uh, back in 2004. Uh, it was this Sunday that we we launched Element Three Church. so it's really special for me to be able to be able to teach today, and that's just an, another thing. So, as I speak today, it's probably not going to be that eloquent, but but I can tell you that I wholeheartedly believe that this is the message that God has asked me to give you today. And I'd like to say over the past 14 years, every Sunday I felt that, but sometimes I was just obedient and taught the Word. But every so often, I almost feel like I'm under a mandate. And today is one of those days that I feel like I'm in a mandate. I may come across... uh, uh, maybe a little overly passionate today, and I'm just gonna warn you, but I I really do feel this deeply. And I'm really hurting for our society. So we started out with this video with one of my favorite kind of uh, paragraphs uh, written by Theodore Roosevelt, the the man in the arena. And I've actually updated it to the 21st century, and and just this, you know, really this part, that it is not the critic who counts. It's not those soldiers that mock Jesus who count. Not the person who points out how the strong person stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. But the credit belongs to the person who is actually in the arena. And I I was thinking about in the story of God, there's been men and women who have stepped into the arena and they have been mocked and they have been ridiculed, including our Lord Jesus Christ. And I just wanted to touch on a few of those and then kind of move into uh, just what does that mean for us and what does that mean for the church? The, the first person that I wanted to look at was Job. Now I don't know if you're familiar with Job, but a lot of scholars believe it's it's the first book of the Bible that was written. And Job was a righteous man. And and essentially, what comes down to a cosmic kind of bet between God and Satan, God saying, you know what, this man is righteous, and this man has integrity. And scripture picks up and says it this way. After they say, you know what? God is going to allow Satan to test him. God says to this, all right, do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence and struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. Horrible. Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat amongst the ashes. Now, I kind of believe this speculation that Joe probably didn't have just broken pottery laying around, That he, he probably had a pot and he had all these boils from his head to his feet and, and this infliction. And maybe he had a pot that that was holding water or oil or, or yeast or something like that. And the condition was so bad that he, he breaks the pot and he scrapes his boils. And then... His wife comes to him and says, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Just curse God and die. I just love that that support when your spouse, you know, just comes in with these words of life, right? But Job replied to her, you foolish woman. Telling you guys I would not try this at home. <laughs> Even if you're covered with boils from head to foot, it can get worse. <laughs> you talk like a foolish woman. Should we only accept the good things from the hand of God and not anything bad? And as I looked at the story of Job, I, I felt like as We get challenged to go into the arena and Job you know, actually got thrust into the arena because he was a righteous man with a heart after God and he's in the arena. And I think that we can learn from Job that if you're going to get into the arena, there's times that you are going to have to break your pot and scrape your skin and maintain your integrity. Because we're gonna be challenged to curse God and die when the storms come in, when the boils are covering us, when there seems like there's no hope, there are going to be people who mock us for our faith that God is sovereign and that God has a bigger plan than us. And at those times, to break the pot, scrape the boils, and keep and maintain our integrity. The next story that I want to talk to you is about David. Now, I'm sure all of you have heard the story of David and Goliath, but you got to think about this. David was a boy, or a young man at best. Or the Bible calls him a ruddy-faced boy. And the situation is that the f- armies of the Philistines were threatening, and, and across the battlefield was the armies of, the, uh, of Israel, the, the nation of Israel. And every single day, this giant Goliath would come out, and mock God and mock the Israelites. And Jesse, David's dad, said, hey, you know what? I want you to go out to the battlefield and I want you to check on your brothers and bring them some food. So he goes out and does that. And it just so happens when he's going out there, he comes at a time when Goliath is out there and he's mocking God and he's mocking Israel and saying, come on, let's bring it on. So, this is what David does. He goes to King, the king, and he says, Don't worry about the Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Saul says, Don't be ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous. There is no way you can fight the Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he has been a man of war since his youth. So, look, setting the stage that, that you have David, who's like, nobody's doing anything. He's mocking God, he's mocking the nation of Israel. And David comes in and he's like, Look, if nobody's going to stand up for God, I am going to do it. And then Saul comes in, he's like, This is ridiculous. He's mocking him. You are ridiculous that you would even have this idea that you are willing to step out on the, 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 into the arena and fight this fight makes no sense. But David persisted. And this is what he says. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. Oh, well, why didn't you say that you were a shepherd? No, this makes perfect sense now. No, that's not what he said. David continues on and says, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, check this out, this is so cool. I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw, (laughs) visualize this, catch it by the jaw and I club it, club it in the head. Oh, club it to death. I have done this both to lions and bears, and I will do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defiled the armies of the living God, defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So Saul relents and says, all right, well, I guess nobody else is willing to step into the arena. So we're going to let you go. So the story goes on, and David steps out into the arena and walks out toward Goliath. And Goliath says, am I a dog? He roared that you come to me with a stick. And then he cursed David by the names of his gods. And then he says, come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. It's a scary scene that, you know, Saul says to David, this is ridiculous. And you know what? Saul was right. It was ridiculous. But David knew something about being a child of God, that he knew that him plus God and his sovereignty equals a win. He is bigger than any army and he steps out and what I learned about David stepping into the arena is this if you're going to step into the arena you should fight like you have five smooth stones and one sovereign God the next one that I want to talk about is Noah now Noah is an interesting case if you really think about Noah I mean, the Bible says that before Noah built the the ark, it had never rained. And God calls Noah to to build this boat in the middle of nowhere and says, you know what, I'm going to bring these animals two by two and and you're going to save humanity. Now, I don't know about you, and and the Bible really doesn't tell us, but I would imagine if one of us went out and started to build a massive ark and using our, our, our fortune and our money to do so, that people may make fun of us. And I would say that his wife and his family probably really made fun of him, because that's what my family would do. And you think about that, like him spending his family's money and, and, and all his time doing this because he had believed that God had called him to do this. And and on the surface of it, it was absolutely ridiculous. Until it started to rain. And then it became super real. And what I think Noah teaches us in 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 his story, and what God shows us this story, if you're going to get into the arena, you better fight like you're the third monkey on noah 's ramp and it's starting to rain <laughs> This is what it means to step into the arena. What job te- teaches us is it's going to be hard and we're going to have adversity, and we're going to need. To scrape our boils and break our pots because the most important thing is to maintain our integrity. And what David teaches us is sometimes people are gonna call you ridiculous, but we've got to realize that we have the resources that God gave us, but ultimately, our ultimate resource is God. And that, Noah, you know what? Sometimes it doesn't make any sense but we are called to take a step of faith as well. Finally, I wanna talk about Jesus and what we learned with the readings about the mockery of Jesus. Jesus told us and told his disciples that we were going to do, his followers were gonna do even greater things than he. Well, Jesus did some pretty great things, right? Jesus fed the 5,000, Jesus healed people, you know, all of these things. And he tells his disciples, you're gonna do greater things with me. And I think about this time where they're basically their whole world is coming unraveled, and Jesus has been arrested, and he's being beaten, and he's being mocked, and they're saying, Here is the King of the Jews, and how they started denying him and, and trying to distance himself themselves. But through this, we know that that Jesus realizes that that you know what the, the story is not over and that something bigger is coming that even though as we, we are going to recognize this Friday about being, him being crucified on Friday he knows that Sunday is a coming and he will triumph and I think the fourth thing that we need to know is that is that You know what, if you're going to get into the arena like Jesus, we have to fight knowing that we can walk on water and that Jesus promised that we are going to do greater things than he. There's some things in this scripture in Matthew 27 that I want to point out to you when you are being mocked, because I think this is absolutely important. The first word is what? Some. What does it feel like when you're being mocked? All. And here's the reality. Mockers need an audience. The biblical thing to do is if you disagree with somebody is to go to them in person and in private and talk to them about it. What mockers do is they find an audience and they publicly do it. And they do this because it makes them feel powerful. Powerful. And they do this because they know you can, they can take you out. Did you know that in any church size, it only takes about seven, or only takes out on average seven people to destroy a pastor and, and, his, and his vocation? It happens again and again and again, and I've seen it again and again and again with friends who are in the ministry, that one person gets disgruntled and lets the lion grab them and then they take some other people and some other people. And I think it's so important for us to realize, as as part of the church, to be aware that Satan has been doing this again and again for years, for thousands of years. He roams around, the Bible tells roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to snatch up. And what I want to recommend to you is, you know what, when we're part of the church, it's all of our responsibility when we have questions to follow Matthew 18 and, and, and go to directly to that person, because when you don't, you actually are being used by the enemy to be divisive. And realizing that, you know what, if you see somebody who is saying, you know, hey, you know, what about this and hey, hey, you know, or in the prayer chain. Oh, I just really want to pray about what's going on here cuz you know, blah blah blah. It's like, you know what that is called sin. That is called divisiveness. And what we need to do is challenge that person and say, "Hey, you know what? Go directly ask questions. Do it in person. And if you're that person, repent and go forward. So some, not all, mockers need an audience, And, and, and don't be part of the seven. So this is kind of the idea for the church, because I believe God is calling the church to get back into the arena, because it is my thought, I'm not talking about E3, I'm talking about the global church. And I think a lot of the things that we're experiencing is because the church has stopped being engaging and stop being in the arena. And it's not actually, um, it's not actually a surprise. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, Peter tells us, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. Paul writes in 2 Timothy. You should know this, Timothy, but all of us should know this, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Are we in very difficult times? We have kids killing kids. We have kids bombing, putting just random bombs out. We have a divided nation that the world is a mess And Paul goes on and said, "'For people will only love themselves and their money.'" This is written 2,000 years ago, by the way. "'They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good.'" They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. So this is the part where I'm going to make a video after this uh, gathering and put it out. But let's... We know everything that has happened. We know what's happened in Austin. We know what's happened in Parkland. We actually know what's been going on in the past 20 years. We've seen an unprecedented youth violence like the world has never seen. And I'm gonna say something and honestly, this, you're just going to have to have some discernment here. You can, you can pass this off as just something that Mark's saying, and if, and, and if I'm just saying this, then I, then I encourage you to uh, just, you know, just to let it go. But I think some of you are going to think this is from the Holy Spirit, and I do not say that lightly. This is what I believe the Holy Spirit has called me to share with the church today, that the secularization of our nation has removed the hope of Christ and have actively targeted our youth. They have been taught that there is no God. They have been taught that they are an accident. They have been taught that they are no better than animals and they have been taught that life is meaningless. And I don't think it's any accident that this really became prevalent 20, 25 years ago and we are seeing 20 and 25 year olds acting and acting out in this way. When I was learning how to do computers back in the dark age when you had to actually program, the teacher would always say, junk in, junk out. And if you look at a child from the day they are born and you tell them you are an accident, you look at them and say, life is meaningless, you say that they're, they are no better than just an animal, then we should not be surprised when they act that way. We should not be surprised because the Bible has told us that the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking those marginalized people to devour them. And what we are seeing is exactly what we were told. And I got to tell you, We have largely let it happen. Not we as E3, but we as followers of Christ. We have heard this message again and again and again. And we need to figure out how to get back in the arena. This is what I believe that God has called the church to be the hope of the world, to be the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And our fight is not with other people or principalities, but it is with the great deceiver, the adversary, the God of this world, the accuser. And listen to me on this. The arena that God, I believe, is calling us to get into is the hearts and minds of our children. And the weapon, which I don't like to use that word, but the weapon is the love and hope of Jesus Christ. Because you know what? When people are hopeless, they do hopeless things. It is a hopeless act, and I'm being careful here, what happened in Austin. It is a hopeless act what happened in Parkland. And lists of others that have happened in the past 20 years. A hopeless act. The fight is hard and our enemy is like a roaring lion on the prow to devour our children who are separated from the love of Christ and the love of their community. And let me tell you this, if you choose to enter into this arena, if you choose to enter into the arena of the hearts and minds of our children, you will be mocked. You will be told that you do not belong. You will hear things like separation of church and state. But let me tell you, you do belong. I'm not talking about being brash. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about mentorship and volunteering. Not only at E3 Kids, but in other avenues. And telling these kids that have been told and are being told every single day of their life that life is meaningless, that they are an accident, that there is no God and they are like an animal, and looking them and speaking words of life into them, every opportunity that we have to look at them in the eye and say, you know what, you are knit together in your mother's womb, that you are beautifully and wonderfully made. Do you know what Jesus says about you? that you are a masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus to do the great things that he has planned for you long ago. And again and again and again, we should never get tired of that message because the enemy does not get tired of theirs. This is the arena of the 21st century and we have stumbled and we have failed that generation. But it is not too late. Jesus in Matthew 10 says, Brother will betray brothers to death, and fathers to his child, and children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And in verse 16 he says this, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. The arena is the hearts and minds of our children. And you know what? Wishful thinking and thoughts and hoping it's going to work out is not going to get it done. We have to be the strong people who will step in that arena and say, lion, not our children. We are going to look at our children and say, you are beautifully and wonderfully made. You were knit together in your mother's womb and you are God's masterpiece. Do you know that you were created by Christ Jesus, to do great things. And we believe in you and are excited about you. Every opportunity that we have. Because you know what? The enemy does not tire. And if we want to stop seeing what's happening in Austin and Parkland and all these other places, it's time for us to step into the arena. Because the reality is there's no plan B. If the church doesn't speak God's truth, nobody is going to do it. And it's not the pastor's job. The pastor is part of the body of Christ. It's the body of Christ's job as the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And we will be mocked and there will be pain. But again, it is not the critic that counts not the person who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the people who actually are in the arena, whose face is marred by dust, and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again. Because there is no effort without error or shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasm? The great devotion who spends himself into a worthy cause. I love that. Spend yourself into a worthy cause. Is there anything more worthy than our children? The answer is no. If I wasn't in church, I'd say, H-E double hockey sticks, no. (laughs) And we don't want to be those people who never get into the arena and we see life pass us by and we miss our calling. Let me tell you, right now we are the third monkey on Noah's ramp and it is beginning to rain. In fact, it's not beginning to rain, it's pouring. And each and every one of us as we come together as the church have a divine mandate to love on these children. I want to end with this, and then we're going to have a short video that that there's a point to it. There's There's a quote by Lance Armstrong, and I know Lance has fallen out of grace and everything, but it's a great quote, pain is temporary. Pain in this instance is, you know what, giving up our time, treasure, and money to get in the arena for the hearts and minds of our kids. Pain is temporary. It may last a minute or an hour or a day or a year, but eventually it will subside and something else will take its place. If you quit, however, it lasts forever. The stakes are that high.